Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. I am Jim Davis, the host of HR Works and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. At the heart of a successful return to work is uh, testing, really. And the state of testing has changed many times since the beginning of the coronavirus. You know, we didn't even have tests. Then we didn't know how accurate the tests were. Lots of companies have design their own tests, and that means that there's discrepancies between what different companies provide, uh, what's available to, to who. Uh, we've come a long way over the last six months now. It's hard to believe it's been that long. But um, so what we're, we're doing today is uh, we have a testing professional with us. We're going to discuss what the state of testing is today. How does it work to roll out a testing program at your organization? Does that mean testing everybody all the time? What are the strategies? How accurate are tests? You know, what kinds of turnaround times can we expect? And so we're happy to have with us today, Rich Robillard, Managing Director at SBL Testing Technologies Incorporated. Uh, and he's here to sort of help us fill in the picture. Thank you so much, Rich, for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to be here. My pleasure. Uh, just to begin, why don't we just sort of take a look, a snapshot of what's the, what's the, I guess, what's the most important thing everyone needs to know about testing right now? Well, there's definitely a lot of testing options out there, uh, not just in terms of uh, different technologies, you know, lab-based, uh, mini lab-based, uh, and uh, as well as point of collection or point of care testing. Uh, but, you know, what's unique to this virus is that there's also two types of testing within that. You can test for the vir virus itself, you know, with a PCR test, uh, which is basically a genetic test. Uh, or an antigen test, which we've recently heard of, which tests for the proteins in, in the virus. But both of them are a virus test. And of course, we have antibody tests too. So uh, there's definitely a lot of choices uh, and uh, options for companies to uh, uh, minimize the risk in the workplace. Just what we need, more options to make everything more complicated for everybody. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, I had a, a similar episode of about a month ago, and the person I was talking to then, you know, uh, was saying that at that time, it wasn't feasible to have enough tests available to test, say, everybody at your organization regularly. Is that still the case? Well, there are definitely uh, limitations uh, provided uh, by the FDA here, well, in the U.S. and Health Canada in Canada that aren't allowing employers have access to all of the tests. Um, it's been a bit of a roller coaster over the last, uh, you know, five, almost six months now, because uh, these tests hit the market pretty quickly, uh, even though they were adapted from pretty uh, acceptable and uh, well, wide used, you know, technologies like serology testing. But uh, it really boils back to the organization too, what their objective is. Uh, what we're seeing is that you don't actually have to test everyone. You can categorize risk and, uh, you know, manage it as such. But systematic testing is going to be part of a company's uh, business continuity strategy moving forward, along with, you know, the other good practices of hand washing and social distancing. And, uh, but testing is going to be a part of it because um, the reality is you can be, you know, negative one week and, and, and something happens that uh, you've had exposure to the virus, uh, you know, before coming to your next shift. Yeah, and I think it's important for our listeners to understand, and I'm sure that they do understand, that there is really no one strategy for every organization. We all have 
you know, you have everything from small businesses with just a few people that might make things easier, but then again, they might have limited resources. You have mid-sized companies, you have companies that have multiple locations. You have companies where half the people need to be in the office every day or at the place of work every day. And you have places where just a few people need to be and everyone else can be remote. So all those different factors make it very difficult to come up with a plan. So that's not going to be our goal today. But I think, I think it's important to discuss, I guess, first, uh, as many limitations as we can to give people an idea of what the bounds are, you know, and one of the limitations early on was time and it still is in some places, you know, if you get a test, you might not hear back for a week, you know, is that something that's still happening and how is an organization expected to, to deal with those kinds of lag times, especially since you might take a test on a Monday, the person seems fine, uh, and then a week later, they find out they have it or they didn't have it when they took the test, but got it in the subsequent week before they get the results. Yeah, I mean, we know, you know, they're learning so much about this virus and incubation periods and, you know, not just the onset of symptoms, but, uh, uh, you know, we now know that there's such a high percentage of people that are asymptomatic. So so having a test that has a turnaround time of, you know, four or five days a week is, is simply unacceptable. I, it just doesn't work. Um, unfortunately, when this first start, uh, lab tests were uh, the first ones to be available and still, you know, predominantly available. Uh, I mean, listen, lab tests uh, generally are the most sensitive, the most accurate, uh, but turnaround time is, is unacceptable. You know, cost, depending, now they've scaled it up, not too bad. Um, as you see more and more uh, what we call mini labs or instrument tests, labs tend to call them rapid tests. Uh, they still need an instrument or a machine on site, but uh, now you're looking at, you know, anywhere from an hour to three, four hours, depending on what kind of test you're using. Um, you know, that turn brings time down, but then they're very expensive. There's only so much uh, flow you can put through, um, and uh, that makes it really impractical for most workplaces. And then what we haven't seen enough of or enough clarity around are the instant on-site tests. I mean, we, we saw the Abbott test uh, get its EUA last week. Uh, I think that's going to be the future, uh, both serology or antibody tests as well as antigen tests, or sorry, uh, yeah, antigen tests that are instant on-site. So those are rapid flow tests. You know, you get a real result in 15 minutes. Uh, they're not as sensitive as a lab, but uh, the cost is much lower and it makes it more practical for companies to implement, uh, you know, again, systematic testing programs uh, at scale. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I, th I think that myself included, what I, what I want is to be able to say, okay, I took a test. Now I 100% know for sure what the situation is. And already, you know, uh, people in my life uh, and my wife, we've been in situations where we've taken tests and don't know if we can trust the results, you know, um, or, or like someone that we knew took the test and it was negative and then they got sick afterwards and it turned out not to be COVID, but you know, um, they potentially exposed people at that time. It's the point I'm making is that there's no such thing as perfect security. There's no such thing as a perfect test. And a lot of people have this sort of belief, like, I'm not going to go back into my workplace until I know for sure that it's safe. And there just really isn't such a thing. So it becomes a point of getting people to understand, okay, like everything else in life, there's no guarantees. You know, you get in your car, that's dangerous. You get, you know, you eat fatty foods, <laughs> that's dangerous. 
you know, there's no such thing as it going to be is ever, ever going to be a hundred percent perfect. But I think what's important is to understand with the current methods that are available, uh, is there enough intervention that can be done to make things safe enough for it to to be okay to return to work? Well, there's a couple of pieces there. Uh, you know, the parallel in terms of, you know, is it acceptable enough? You know, the parallel is uh, a company's safety program. You can put all the safety practices in place, leadership, you know, uh, PP&E, uh, administrative. You can engineer some of the things out. Uh, the reality is there's always going to be uh, some risk. It's just has, has the risk being brought down <clears throat> to an acceptable level. That's the same with the COVID situation. Uh, you're right. There is no test. That's 100%. Uh, and there's pros and cons to all of these tests. And this virus acts a lot differently. But if you have even, a say, a point of collection test that you can do uh, a broad scope of testing, and maybe, uh, you know, its accuracy is, you know, 90%, would you rather not know 90% of the time versus not knowing at all? So it's about bringing risk down to some kind of acceptable level. And, and in the safety world, we always use the Swiss cheese model. There's never any one tool. Again, you're going to implement all kinds of other practices, uh, you know, from, again, hand washing to social distancing, as well as testing to bring that test or that risk down to an acceptable level. And it's important to know that different companies view risk very differently. You know, you're a public company, you're a private company, you, uh, you know, have a unionized uh, situation and it's a positive one, or maybe it's, there's some contention or you're a non-union, you know, you're a mine where, you know, you have really high risk uh, uh, hazards versus, you know, an office where, you know, you don't have the same hazards. So companies view risk very differently. So the mitigation and uh, strategies that they put in place usually align to that. So yeah, there is no one fit all uh, for any one company. Uh, and cost is going to be a huge factor too. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, you know, these are still businesses that, uh, you know, have to meet the bottom line. So uh, some of the testing regimes are too expensive for companies to implement. Yeah, it's a good point. I think, um, though we can't, you know, come up with a system for everybody, maybe it'd be helpful to talk about some of the systems that people have put in place that you're aware of. Yeah, so we we primarily work with uh, more heavy industry, uh, you know, energy, uh, mining, forestry, agriculture, these kind of organizations, manufacturing. So what we've seen is um, the more mature companies are starting to put in uh, risk categories. So they're categorizing people uh, by behavior, um, also by testing, where they are at their testing, and potentially what their exposure is. So the example is we work with a very large manufacturer that's global, and they've put their workers into three categories. Uh, so high, medium, and low risk. So they did baseline testing for everyone uh, with an antibody test. And if they have the quote-unquote immunity antibody even though there's a lot of debate about how long uh, uh, a person retains that. Uh, but if they have that and they're asymptomatic, then they're into the low risk category. So that creates two things. They don't have to test as systematically <clears throat> unless something changes. And then depending, they also have an app or questionnaire that people fill out before they get to work. And depending on what they, how they score that, so that's what have they been doing, exposure, have they been you know, in, involved with anybody that ha has tested positive for COVID, they're, they're put into a risk category and then the testing schedule goes from there. So what's good about that is not everybody has to be tested every day. 
And then they can overall keep risk at a lower uh, uh, or manage risk down to an acceptable level for them. And uh, now that's a little bit more of a comprehensive strategy for testing, but for them, they're able to keep risk down and still move all of, uh, you know, they have hundred over a hundred thousand workers. They're starting to move all their workers back into, uh, into their facilities now. I think it's really good to look at specific examples because what else do we have, you know? Um, And it makes sense that it would be those industries that are doing this since they have require your workers to actually be there. Right. I mean, not all the support staff, but. Yeah. I mean, what they're doing is they're, they're approaching it very similar to their safety program. Right. I mean, it's, it's a, a a number of different uh, uh, components that, you know, overall brings risk down. Uh, we haven't, you know, we work with some smaller organizations where we are providing those instant onsite tests where, yeah, maybe the accuracy isn't quite as high, but it's still above 90%. And, you know, they're not risk categorizing their workers, but you know what they're doing? They're testing them once a week. And at least at that point, if somebody does test, uh, uh, you know, for an antibody that's the active one, IgM, they're not using that as a diagnosis, but they're able at that point to make an informed risk decision. You know what? There's a high likelihood that, you know, they potentially have the virus right now. We're going to quarantine them and send them for a lab-based test and at least remove that worker from the workplace for two weeks, which again, reduces exposure. So the strategies change depending on the size and, and, you know, the, the risk tolerance of each organization, but yeah, it, Systematic testing is, I think, here to stay. And there is going to be a whole long path of, uh, you know, HR law and case law associated to workers' rights and privacies, uh, privacy, et cetera, uh, just as we saw over the last 30 years for drug and alcohol testing, for example. Yeah, I mean, there's already been um, the DOL weighed in and said that you can mandate COVID tests, but not not the test as to whether you had it or not, the antibody test. So it's really interesting, the antigen test that's come out. So now it's basically an instant virus test on site, 15 minutes. Again, a lateral flow immunoassay test. It, I mean, it looks like a pregnancy test. It flows very similarly. That is... Uh, much easier to adopt into a program. However, what we're seeing with antibody testing is um, that actually gives you a better snapshot uh, of kind of the overall risk or exposure of your company uh, employees. So it's not such a privacy issue as it is being able to know, again, like that large manufacturer, if they know that you have the immunity antibody, again, without under you know not knowing necessarily how long that's going to be, we can categorize that uh, worker as low and they don't need to be tested as often unless something changes, right? So um, we're seeing a hybrid for larger organizations. They're using both antigen and uh, antibody testing. Yeah, one of the things that, you know, my my wife and I and friends of ours, you know, we've resumed our social lives in a de- to a degree with with outdoor visits and social distance visits and small groups. And, and, you know, you realize like life has to go on. And part of what allows that to happen is being as creative as you possibly can with the limitations that you have, you know, um, you can't not see your family forever. At some point you got to go see them, you know, so, and, and the information changes so quickly. So the thing about creativity is that it can be very 
useful and, and people might be able to make their own systems that work very well. And the other thing about creativity is it can be very dangerous because you're operating on assumptions that may not prove to be true. One of the things that I hear a lot about, a lot of discussion about is specifically the immunity to the disease based on whether you've had it before or not. And I have been following this very carefully since the very beginning, you know, because that's the big question. You know, if, you, if you're sick and you've been proven to have had it, when you're done, are you immune? And more importantly, I think that some people are starting to say, okay, well, maybe we can just assemble a workforce of people that have already had it together and they're getting creative in a way that might be dangerous. I know you've already sort of talked about it a little bit, but could you just ground us in reality here for a second surrounding specifically uh, whether you've had it or not and and what we know about the immunity situation? Well, first, I, I, I will default that I'm not the medical director on our team by any means, uh, even though we're keeping on close tabs as as you and, and everybody will know that the science is, I, I don't want to say changing, but they are constantly learning about this uh, uh you know, version of the SARS uh, uh, virus. We know that SARS-1 on average lasted, uh, the immunity um, antibody IgG lasted about two years. The Middle Eastern uh, respiratory syndrome was about three years. We don't have enough time yet to really know how long the immunity uh, is going to last for uh, this version, uh, COVID-19. But that being said, um, you know, we've now, the CDC put some uh, guidance out a couple of weeks ago, you know, at least three months. Uh, we now have heard of one case where somebody is being um, reinfected, uh, but that's one case in, in the millions that, uh, of exposures that have been out there. So, you know, it's, it's something that I don't think anybody should make a definitive decision on. When we look at it from a workplace perspective, if a worker has the immunity uh, Virus or antibody now uh, and is asymptomatic and you know doesn't have the active uh, um, IgM antibody. You know that that's a determination that at this point in time risk is lower, so we can make a you know we can move forward with that. Um, if that changes or the science changes or they understand the immunity a lot longer, uh, I think that is more important for uh, the public health you know, strategies as a whole. But in terms of the workplace, uh, you know, we can only use with what, you know, the information that we're being provided with right now. Good answer. Um, another thing I want to talk about was uh, the so-called end of all of this. I think a lot of people are looking for the vaccine to be the thing that ends this and we can all go back to normal, which is, you know, perhaps a little bit um, hopeful. Uh, what's your understanding of where we're at in that field? You guys must be taking the advancing vaccines into account. Well, it's interesting. I can I can only speak for larger organizations. So I think of oil and gas companies and mining organizations. And what I can say is they are not planning um, for things to go back to normal. I think these practices of you know hand washing, social distancing uh, are going to remain in place. I think you're going to see uh, remote workforces uh, for people that don't have to be on site become standard. Uh, I mean, at least we've proven over the last six months that people can work uh, remotely uh, successfully. 
I think testing technologies will get a little bit better also. Uh, there are a lot of uh, cutting things out there. Uh, uh, from There's a wristband technology that can actually detect before the, sun, uh, before the uh, onset of symptoms. Um, wow. you, know, not, you know, it's not commercial yet. But I, I think the larger organizations are planning for the long haul. They think these are going to be practices that are going to be in place no different than their safety programs or their drug and alcohol testing programs or whatever the case to manage risk. Because if it's not COVID-19, you know, maybe it's COVID-20 or COVID-21. Um, and, you know, I think the other thing that this has brought to the forefront for large organizations is the reality is that infectious disease is actually a threat to our workplaces uh, in terms of the safety of our worker and, and obviously operations and production and such. So uh, we see large organizations planning for the long haul. I think the other thing you're going to see is additional innovations that are going to follow in behind. I think you're going to see a, a totally new set of uh, workplace design. And, and that's not so much the ergonomics as it is. Uh, you're just going to see from manufacturing uh, facilities to offices are going to be designed completely different moving forward. Um, and what they're going to be trying to do is engineer the risk out, right? Or at least bring that risk down. So um, I don't think we're going back to normal anytime soon. I think there'll be a new normal. And I, I know that's cliche, but uh, the reality is I, that <laughs> that's what we see happening. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, I think I mentioned this in another episode, but, you know, um, when we were harnessing the power of nuclear material and we're learning about its dangers, you know, and we found out that exposure to it causes all kinds of issues from imminent death to long-term, you know, situations, long-term cancers. And we didn't say, okay, well, I guess we're not going to do this anymore and give up. We had to create security systems that dealt with what's an ongoing and continuous threat from, you know, and the technology got really good to the point where you can have a little badge on your shirt that tells you how much exposure you've had. You can track people's exposure through their lifetime. You have stations where you can wave your hand in front of it and it tells you if you've been exposed. You know, we put these things in place. Now, that's a very, it's not, it's in many ways it's very different, but in many ways it's very similar because that's kind of the reality we're heading towards is that this is going to be here in some degree or another forever. And as we go on, we're going to have to create technologies that let us deal with the kind of threat that this represents. Yeah, I mean, and organizations are looking at it exactly like that. This is a risk no other, no different than any other risk. I mean, obviously the characteristics of it are different and it needs to be systematically addressed, right? And that means putting in, you know, as many kind of engineered controls as possible, i.e., you know, let's, you know, remove the risk by keeping the worker at home. Uh, administrative controls, again, those good practices, uh, and, and testing as part of that. Um, and then, you know, at the, at the front line is that's where PP&E comes in. I mean, if you're a server at a restaurant, I mean, masks are going to be standard. I, I, I think masks are going to become uh, commonplace. I mean, uh, it's not going to be an issue. Everybody's going to wear a mask generally at some point. Uh, and again, that's for the protection of not only the individual, but everybody around them. So what do you think is the thing that you've learned from all this? Oh, well, <laughs> I, I, I let's think, get deep for a second. <laughs> you know, it, it, 
you know, being SBL works uh, uh, both in Canada and U.S., um, one thing that has been a real challenge is that uh, a lot of this has been politicized and uh, the politics around addressing a pandemic uh, have not made things uh, easier um, instead of just yeah. you know, really focusing on, you know, because we have a lot of incredibly uh, brilliant people uh, in North America from our scientists to our risk and safety specialists that, uh, you know, can really tackle problems like this. But, uh, you know, and, and I'm not trying to throw, uh, you know, the FDA or Health Canada under the bus. They they were put into a challenging situation, too, that they are not normally used to. I mean, those organizations don't normally move uh, at this rapid of a pace. So there's going to be errors. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think the learning is that that system needs to be a little bit better managed as we move forward. Uh, you know, if something else comes along, you know, we have another virus or uh, I think we will be better prepared. You know, what I learned is that we are woefully unprepared for the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I knew it was bad, but not this bad. Uh, we don't stand a chance. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what the zombie risk mitigation uh, uh, strategy is. We haven't got the, that far down the path. I mean, I think everyone working from homes, obviously, in the plus column you know, less large crowds. That's good. You know, people bought zombie insurance. I don't know if you're familiar with that. <laughs> um, guess they should have bought pandemic insurance instead. Well, you know, what's interesting is after SARS one back in the early 2000s, there was a number of companies that uh, what were actually providing pandemic planning for organizations. Uh, but it was expensive and yeah. uh, it was time consuming. You had to run drills. You had to, you know, it was a living document. There was a lot uh, involved. And, uh, you know, after two, three, four years and, you know, mm -hmm. the risk didn't seem to be as uh, prevalent as it was, um, you know, those companies faded off and uh, organizations weren't buying that kind of, you know, not quite insurance, but basically putting those procedures in place. And then, you know, here we are. 18 years later and uh, you know, it's a full episode. Yeah. There were, there was all those uh, reports that came out, you know, excoriating companies and, and governments for having, for having a policy that's from, you know, 2005 or something and, do, and doesn't take into account modern technology, modes of transport, importation, things like that. Um, but it's, you know, the threat, you don't prepare for the threats you don't see. Thank you so much, Rich, for, for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, no. Thank you so much for the time. Absolutely. And listeners, please check back next week for the next episode of HR Works COVID-19 Update. You can always follow us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast to give us your ideas and thoughts or just to say hi. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.